The scripture reading is chapter one from the book of Psalms. It can be found on page 448 in the Black Bibles. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Kate and Mary Sophia. Thanks also, Isabel, before that beautiful... Y'all, whose idea was it for me to... I've been crying this whole time. I can't get up here. I see what... I see, John. I see what your strategy is here goodness um man so so fun to be with y'all on this senior Sunday my name is Clay Holland I'm the family pastor here at Christ the King and I'm excited to be preaching on Psalm 1 which happens to be my favorite psalm and actually one of my very favorite passages in the Bible we are beginning a mini sermon series on the Psalms that will take us in through the summer um, to the new ministry year, which starts in August, where we'll have a different uh, sermon series at that time. So we're starting at a good place to start in the Psalms, and that's at the beginning. Now, the way I figure it is if we average 10 Psalms a, uh, a year, then that's, that's 15 years that y'all have to hold John to staying here and, and, and preaching, preaching through the Psalms. Actually, you got to add another year on there for Psalm 119. That deserves it. I mean, that's a long one. It deserves its whole thing. But here we are, we're at Psalm 1, and it's, it's a great, it, this psalm's not here by accident. It's not like that, you know, people wrote a whole bunch of psalms, and then they put them in like a bingo thing and rolled them up, you know, and hey, let's Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is the introduction to the entire book. Actually, it's a, it's a, it's a great summary in many respects of the entire Bible, and it's a very, very important and appropriate passage to send our seniors off with. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. To, to, to have them uh, meditating upon as they graduate from this segment of their lives in high school. And the Lord moves them into whatever is next. Because in its most basic structure, Psalm 1 sets such a contrast between the righteous. And righteous is defined as those whose life is characterized by faith and trust in the Lord. And the wicked, which seems like a pretty harsh word, but it's used here in Psalm 1, and that's defined as someone whose life is characterized by faith and trust in themselves or the things of this world. And so there's this contrast between the, the foundation, the fruit, and the future of the righteous and the wicked. And this is going to be a little bit like a wedding homily. You know, in a wedding you talk to the bride and groom and everybody else overhears. Well, I'm going to talk a lot to our graduating seniors, but this is the Bible. It's applicable to everybody, so everybody gets to overhear this as well. But we're going to jump into the foundation, the fruit, and the future of the righteous and the wicked. So first, the foundation. The foundation of the righteous and the wicked. Listen again as I read verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, 
first thing we have to do is we have to define this word blessed. If this is going to be the very first word in the psalm, the introduction to all of the psalms, what does it mean? Well, on Instagram and Twitter, blessed means something really, really good has happened to me, and I'm going to put a hashtag blessed in there to lessen the impact because what I'm really doing is bragging, right? But if I put blessed, I'm kind of like, it's more of a humble brag. It, 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 it lessens the impact a little bit. But regardless, something really awesome happened to me. I got drafted number one, hashtag blessed, you know, those, those kinds of things. But that's not really what this is referring to in Psalm 1. Here, the very simplest definition of the word blessed is happy. The most simple definition of the word blessed in Psalm 1 or even in the mouth of Jesus in the Beatitudes, is happy. It is a steady, joyful disposition of life that is not contingent upon whether or not you are getting everything that you want you know, at any given moment. But it's contingent on something else entirely. And as we walk through Psalm 1, we'll see what those things are. Now, the first two verses in Psalm 1 make amazing and incredible use of a poetic device that's characteristic of Hebrew poetry. You'll find it all the way throughout the Psalms. You'll find it particularly important here in Psalm 1. It's called parallelism. What parallelism is, is the repetition of a word or a phrase or a concept, but with increasing um, emphasis all the way through and so what we see in verses one and two is this parallel phrase from walking in the way of sinners sinners standing in the walking in the way of the wicked standing in the let me get this right yeah walking in the counsel of the wicked standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers this the same similar phrase and sentiment but with increasing emphasis all the way through and so this is where you see the difference between, in foundation between the righteous and wicked. Because the foundation of the wicked is the world. What the wicked are building their lives upon are the ways and the wisdom of the world. So I'm using the word world here to mean any belief system or accumulated system of so-called wisdom that runs counter to the wisdom of God as it is articulated and presented to us in his word, the Bible. And the poetic progression of the way that the wisdom of the world settles into our lives is very instructive because first, you walk in it. You dabble in it. You dabble in what is not true. You, you turn your ear to it. You begin to listen to it. You, you try it on for size. You, you walk the path of falsehood. You overhear the conversation and it, it piques your interest, right? You put yourself in the place where the world's definition of life is on offer and you begin to look around at it and you begin to, to long for it. You begin to think that this might hold out for you life and truth and something worth building your life upon. You walk in the counsel of the wicked. But then when you are there, you stop and you stand in the way of sinners, which means you join the conversation you join that circle of discussion. You begin to take seriously what is not true and what is in fact harmful to you and others. And then, finally, you sit. 
And in the ancient Near East, sitting uh, really has two different emphases to it. First, sitting is the posture of completion. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And then what? He sits down at the right hand of God the Father. His work is done. He sits. So you have come to a settled conclusion. That what is false, that what is not true, that what does not bring life, you've come to a settled conclusion that that does bring you life. And you sit in that place. But also in the ancient Near East, unlike what I am doing right now, sitting was the place of instruction. When someone went into the synagogue to to read the scriptures and then to teach it, they would sit down to teach those Scripture. So a teacher sits down to instruct his students. So he you from dabbling in the false wisdom of the world to owning it, to becoming completely settled in it, and then even instructing others in it. The student of falsehood has become the teacher of falsehood. The apprentice has become the master. The Padawan has become the Jedi of what is not true. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to build your life upon the word. Not the world, but the word, the word of God. But his delight, the righteous's delight, is in the law of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The Hebrew word for law here, so don't, you know, you hear, ooh, meditate on the law of God. You know, just the Ten Commandments, that just sounds kind of harsh. But the word law here is Torah. Torah means God's good instruction for you. The Torah is God's good instruction for your life. It is the wisdom of God that is delivered to you in the entirety of the Bible, the whole Bible, not just what we would think about as being, you know, those parts of the Bible that are quote-unquote law. And on this good instruction, we are commended to meditate. This is a word that comes from a root that means to growl or maybe even to mutter. And so the sense here of meditating on the word of God is having it infused into your life so much so that you, that you mumble it to yourself, that you speak it gently, that it's just on your lips at, at all time. You're that focused on it, that you're muttering God's word to yourself. Now, at this point, you might think, that's weird. That's just weird. I mean, meditate? Who does that? Who meditates? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that you meditate. The truth of the matter is that I meditate. The truth of the matter is that everybody meditates. Here's an experiment for you. The next time you're going on vacation and you've got a flight at like 6.30 in the morning or something like that or 7 o'clock. So it's 6 o'clock in the morning and you're in the airport. You get through security. You're dying for caffeine. You're just dying. It has to happen, you know? And so you you find the Starbucks in the airport. You make a beeline toward it. But everybody else in the airport at that time has the same idea. They all need caffeine, so the line is long, right? Long line at Starbucks. Here's my challenge to you. Look around. What are people doing right then? They are all meditating. They're in a posture of meditation. Their hand is outstretched. Their head is bowed. Actually, this is serious, actually. Their, their head is bowed in a posture, and they are focusing their attention, all of their attention, on information that they believe is true and life-giving and important for them. We all meditate. 
That instruction may be about how to get six-pack abs in two weeks. It may be that they just stumbled upon some pictures of an impromptu gathering of the social circle that they believed that they were in, but were not invited to. And now they're feeling shame and hurt and pain and worthlessness. It may be that their favorite Instagram influencer just told them that the bathing suit that they just packed for their awesome vacation is so last summer. And now they don't know what to do. They're embarrassed to even, they're embarrassed to even get on this plane and go somewhere. They're meditating, right? And you are too, and I am too. What teaching are you focusing your attention on? Is it the wisdom of this world? which we're going to see in a moment, just blows away? Or is it the good and gracious word of the Lord which endures with you into eternity? So, seniors, I want to issue you a challenge right now. I'm guessing that by and large, maybe not all of you, but I'm guessing that by and large, most of you are exempt from your final exams. Senioritis has kicked in so much that you don't even know where your school books are. Am I right about that? Can I get an amen on that? So, what I'm saying is you got some time, Right? You've got some time, so here's your challenge. Memorize Psalm 1. Memorize Psalm 1 and begin to meditate on it. Take Psalm 1 with you in your heart, with you, into your next journey, which for most of you is going to be onto a college or a university campus. If you are getting ready to go through Rush, realize that it is almost entirely based on worldly wisdom. Just realize that this whole system is nearly entirely 100% based on worldly wisdom. And therefore, it cannot possibly make an accurate assessment about your worth as a human being. It really can't. It can't make an accurate assessment about your, your worth as a human being. So my challenge to you is memorize Psalm 1. And when you're standing outside of a random sorority house and they're, they're singing and they're dancing and they're smiling so much so that their faces are going to be pain in pain the next day, realize that to a lot of the younger girls that are standing there, they're lying to them. They're not actually happy to see them, Right? They're, 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 they're not actually telling you the full truth. So you can stand there and you can, with someone, you can say, blessed is the woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord for she is like a tree planted by streams of water and nothing that happens in this system can undo that reality in my life. See, you need, you need the word of God to, to tell you the truth because on a university campus, not everybody's gonna tell you the truth socially or in the classroom or otherwise. There's an interesting tidbit in Psalm 1 that Andres pointed out in our sermon prep meeting this past week. If you look back at, uh, at the tenses of the words in verses 1 and 2, um, the, the, well, not the tenses, but blessed is the man, which is not just a man. This is not only referred to boys. This is also the man or the woman, but it's in the singular. So it's, so blessed is the, the, the person, the, the one person, but when you get to the words wicked or sinners or scoffers, all of those are plural. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the plural wicked or stands in the, in, in the way of sinners, plural, or in the seat of scoffers, plural. There is a connotation here of sometimes in your life standing alone. Sometimes standing alone 
by faith in the promises of God which may appear hidden to you at points when everyone else is walking in a particular direction. Now that's really hard, super hard. It takes courage. Courage is a virtue that has gone out of style in our culture because someone who has courage tends to be all by themselves and they stick up like a nail and you know what happens to the nail that sticks up out of the wood? They get hammered down. The nail that sticks up gets hammered down. But it's a virtue that is biblical, and I would commend it to you. The ability to stand alone for the right thing and not the wrong thing is formed in you but by delighting in the Lord and meditating on his word. Now, there's so much to say here, and the clock just fell over, which is cool. Um, because I promised Daniel that I would keep this sermon to an hour and a half. Um, but let's move forward. Because we could stop right here and you could say, okay, I got it. I I see what someone is saying. Be good and good things are going to happen to me and be bad and bad things are going to happen to me. Well, that's not true. That's not what someone's saying. That's not what the Bible is saying. But we're going to plow forward and and, and continue along here. Uh, Because delighting in what, what your foundation is, there's a progression in Psalm 1 that says that your foundation leads to the fruit of your life. What you build your life on leads to what emanates out of your life and into the world. It leads to contrasting fruits. Now, listen again here to verses 3 and 4. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You hear that progression. If you delight in God's word, you make that the grounding center of your life, then there will be a consequence. If you delight yourself in your own wisdom or in the wisdom of the world, to make that the grounding center of your life, then there will be a consequence, contrasting fruit in your life. The fruit of the wicked, according to Psalm 1, is hollow uselessness. Hollow uselessness. That's about the best definition of chaff that I can come up with. This is a simile that would have been easily understood at the time that this was written. Chaff is the part of grain that is harvested that is not useful for anything. In order, so so what, what they would do in the ancient Near East is they would gather up all of the, the grain, all of the wheat, and they would just throw it down on the floor, and then people would just beat the heck out of it. They would just beat it up. And then they would take shovel-type things, and they would throw it up in the air, and the seed, which was the good part that you wanted because you made bread out of it, was heavy. It would fall to the ground. The chaff, which was light and hollow and not useful for anything would get blown away by the wind. You would be left with what is useful. What is useless is blown away by the wind. That is what the psalmist is saying happens to us if we build our lives on what is not right and what is not true. So the psalmist is saying all these things in the world that we believe are so vital, so necessary, so important, so imperative, our social standing, our athletic prowess, whether or not you get the the awesome internship after your junior year, how physically attractive you are, your academic prowess, how many followers you have on social media, how many comments you get after any post, all of those things are like chaff that gets blown away in the wind. They don't last. And they don't nourish anybody. The world is working so hard to convince you that all of those things are life-giving, yet ultimately, its fruit is hollow and useless. Why is that? Well, the main reason is because those things are ultimately for 
you. They're self-centered sorts of things. If we're building our, our lives on, on our own wisdom or on the wisdom of the world, we're building, our, uh, 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 we're building a, the lives to serve ourselves. That's what makes it hollow and useless. But you see, the fruit of the righteous is rooted usefulness. Rooted usefulness. The man or the woman who delights in the Lord and makes the word of God the grounding center of their life is rooted. Planted by streams of water that is nourished. They're not tossed to and fro by every call of our culture. They're not living in fear of social and online consequences of not adhering to the the, the orthodoxy of this world. Now think about that for just a minute because... I don't think many of us feel this way. There is so much fear in this world, right? So much fear in this world. And therefore, because of fear, there's so much temptation to unroot ourselves from God and his word and to plug ourselves into something else. Because we believe that the consequences of not adhering to the wisdom of the world, the world's orthodoxy, is so dire and has so much power over us that we fear not to do it. Whether that orthodoxy is social and it's impressed upon you about how you must live in order to adhere to the social climate of wherever you're going or it's academic what you must think and what you must believe in order to adhere to the academic climate of where you're going to be or it's internal, the clothes that you have to have, the body that you have to have, the weight that you must weigh. You see, none of that is rooted And none of that makes you a steady, grounded, useful presence. Now, I keep using that word useful, and I do it on purpose because unlike a self-centeredness that goes along with chaff getting blown away in the wind, rootedness to God and to his word produces fruit. Now, here's a question. A tree produces fruit. Who's that fruit for? It's not for the tree. A tree does not eat its own fruit. The tree's getting its nourishment from the stream of water that it's planted by. It grows, it bears fruit. Who's the fruit for? The fruit that the tree bears is for the good of other people. The fruit nourishes other people. The fruit of rootedness is that you may love and encourage and help other people. The fruit of this world is selfish and self-centered and it blows away in the wind. The fruit of delight in the Lord and his word is fruitfulness that endures. I talk to people on the back end of college a lot of time and I talk to people that have been a part of this church. I know of two people actually, both graduates of universities in the state, one a young man and one a young woman, who bore fruit by remaining rooted to God and his word in hard times. The young man was pledging a fraternity he was the only dry pledge in a fraternity that was known to be well not particularly dry I I think you might be the it was a very hard partying place on campus and this meant that he was announcing publicly to his to this group that he did not drink alcohol and as a pledge that he would not be therefore encouraged aka forced um, to consume alcohol now that sounds right and fine and good but do you know what happens when you're the only person who does that? Bad things. You get substituted other things like jars of mayonnaise or buttermilk, you know, 
um, you know, all these kinds of things. Essentially, a consistent public shaming. Essentially, a consistent public shaming for standing alone and being rooted in something other than party culture. Now, the young woman had something happen that happens, you know, a lot in these kinds of things with respect to kind of that social world and fell through the cracks during sorority rush. And then she had a decision to make. How am I going to react to that? And the way she reacted to that was, wow, I've got a lot of time on my hands. I'm going to go do stuff. I'm going to go jump into ministries. And, you know, I'm going to go meet a whole bunch of people. I'm going to do a whole bunch of things. And it was really hard, especially on Thursday night, when every single person that she knew was all crammed into their bathrooms trying to pick out clothes and put on makeup and, you know, go to the parties. And she wasn't. But she was consistent and had things to do. Now, time passes for each of those people as it does in college. And you know what happened? Both of those people became the go-to people for their friends when they went through hard things in their lives. They were the go-tos when the breakup happened, when the job interview they had their hearts set on didn't materialize, when the shine of social life of the university life wore off about junior year, which it does for everybody, and people were asking, starting to ask big questions like, wait a minute, is this all there is to life? I mean, certainly there's got to be some more to this. These are the two people that they went to talk to. Why is that? Because people noted and noticed what they were rooted in. They watched them in their public testimonies of faith, particularly as that faith was tested. And when their own lives, their friends, the other people, when their lives, they started to feel like their lives were like chaff starting to blow away in the wind. They went looking for somebody who was rooted and bearing fruit. Where do I get this fruit? You know, where, where do I get this? And that's who they ran to. They were like trees planted by streams of water bearing fruit in season. And finally, very quickly, let's take a look at the future. The progression of Psalm 1 progresses from the foundation to the fruit to the future. The righteous man or the righteous woman delights in the Lord, roots himself or herself in his word. He or she bears the fruit of rooted usefulness and his or her future is to be known by God and enjoy eternal life. The wicked person delights in himself or herself and bears the fruit of hollow uselessness, his or her future is eternal separation from God in hell. Now, I hate to be so blunt. I don't really hate to be that blunt. But look, y'all, this is important. I mean, this is, this is actually life or death stuff. So I'm going to talk to you about this as if it is life or death. Because it is, okay? Listen again to verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, in the judgment, but it means the day of judgment. So I'll talk about that in a second. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you walk in the counsel of the wicked, you stand in the way of sinners, you sit in the seat of scoffers, there'll be consequences. And while they have built their lives on the selfish pursuit that this world offers, even though in the eyes of the world, they could be the greatest success story known to man. They could have everything they ever dreamed of, the perfect house, the perfect neighborhood, the membership in the perfect clubs, the perfect spouse, the perfect vacations, even a good dog. But that person denies the Lord and fails to put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And though they have stood, they have stood on every platform, every raised platform that this earth has to offer, they will not stand on the last day. Because, but the, but the righteous are known by God. That doesn't just mean that God knows who they are. It doesn't just mean like, oh look, John's been doing good things, and I know he's been doing good things. I like him. You know, he'll, he'll come into eternal life. That's not what to know is intimate. It is relational. The Lord knows the righteous. It's intimate relationship with them. Because the word of God points you to the stream of living water. Asking the so how, how are we really rooted in God? How are we really delighting in him and delighting in what, what is what, what does all this point us to? Well, it points us to where Psalm 1 is ultimately pointing. What is this stream of water that we are planted by? Well, Jesus says in the Gospels, if you came to me, you would have living water and you would never thirst again. The word of God points you to the stream of living water, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. What ultimately separates the righteous from the wicked? It's not someone is a good person. It's not someone is a bad person. It's not someone does good things. It's not someone does bad things. What ultimately separates the righteous from the wicked is their response to the gracious offer of the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So just a couple of applications to conclude particularly for y'all seniors, but really for all of us. First is a question. Where are you rooted? Really, I mean, be honest with yourself. Where are you rooted? What is it that you believe brings you life in this world? What is the focus of your attention? What is the focus of the meditation of your head and your heart? Is it on how to secure the things that this world offers? Or is it on the beauty of your Savior and delighting in his word? So much of the next stage of your life is going to scream at you. And when I say scream at you, I mean sometimes subtly, but sometimes literally scream at you. That this world offers you everything that you could possibly ever hope for. It's going to, it's going to be everywhere. Psalm 1 tells you this is not true. This is not true. And that there are serious consequences with respect to where it is that you root your life. And second, if you are following Jesus right now as a senior in high school, how do you remain rooted in him when you go off into the next stage of your life, into college or wherever else it is that you go? Even how do you grow in your relationship? Well, sometimes we think about universities. This is, a, this is a little bit of a side. We think about universities as like the most scary place in the world. Oh my goodness, just survive, right? Well, let me tell you something. You can grow. 
you can actually grow in your love for Jesus in these next four years. This is not just a place, this is not a place for you to escape reality and put your life on pause for four years and then come pick it up later. And this is not a place just to be totally scared of, like God's not here, you know, I'm going into the darkness where God doesn't exist. God is at work. There's not one inch of this world that God does not look at and point to and say, this is mine. And that includes wherever it is that you're going next year. But you have to have a plan. You got to have a plan. So while following Jesus as a college student can be lonely in certain spaces, God gives you gifts of his grace so that you are not really alone. And the main important place that he gives you, this main grace that he gives you is his church. Now listen, I love campus ministry. I'm a huge campus ministry proponent. Yay campus ministries, particularly super yay RUF, right? Like super yay RUF. But these are not the church. They're priority two. I'm here to tell you that priority one is, is connecting yourself to the body of Christ in its diversity and its diversity of age and socioeconomics and all of its diversity, that is a stream of living water for you on the college campus or wherever it is that you go. The church is where the word of God is preached. The church is where the sacraments are observed. You know, when you take communion, that's really powerful for you. The Lord says, God says he's at work in those things. You know, that's really powerful. The church doesn't only have college students in it. That's also important for you. It has older people. It has younger people. It has places for you to serve. The church is where once a week you come face to face with reality. That Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and there's much more to life than whether or not you get invited to, you know, uh, the formal or you get the internship with Goldman. The church tells you those things. So please plug yourself into a church that preaches the Bible as authoritative and true. That is like the stream of living water in Psalm 1 that brings you nourishment. If you need help in that, wherever it is that you go, I would love to help you with that. John would love to help you with that. Lauren would love to help you. We would love to help you with that. And so my prayer for you, essentially, as as you go off into this next chapter in your life, what I'm going to be praying for you is Psalm 1. I'm going to be praying that Psalm 1 is rooted in your life and rooted in your heart. And you are rooted in him and that you are bearing fruit that is useful for others. May God produce that in you. May God produce that in you. By his grace, through the living waters of the Lord Jesus Christ who goes with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that if we drink of the water that you offer through faith, that we will never thirst again. This world makes us thirsty, God. makes us thirsty. We take a sip and we're, we're, just, we're, we're, we're just thirsty again. Help us to drink from you. I pray for these seniors who are graduating. Thank you, Father, for the work that you are doing in your life. Thank you that it is true that there is no speck of ground on this earth in which you are not at work. I pray, Father, as they go into this next phase of their life that you would go with them Lord Jesus, that you would be united to them, they would drink deeply from you, and we ask it in your name. Amen.